morning. It's uh, good, to, good to have you here with us uh, this morning. If you were here uh, last week, uh, last week is what I would call introduction to this series 1A, and uh, today's introduction to the series 1B, all right? Uh, so last week, we kind of uh, added that series in with about a month or so uh, in, in advance, and uh, the reason I wanted to do uh, last Sunday was as part of the sermon, uh, we read through the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. And so that sermon's on our app. It's also online. I would encourage you, if uh, you're driving around in your car and uh, you've got, it's a 13-minute or so reading, I think it's a really valuable thing uh, to just hear the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety. And uh, so we did that last week. And then this is uh, the original intro of the series that we're doing today. So uh, 1A last week, and I'd encourage you to listen to that sermon last week, and in particular the scripture reading, um, to just hear the Sermon on the Mount all the way through from beginning to end. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into 1B, okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus. Uh, We thank you, uh, as has been mentioned uh, in the service a few times, we thank you uh, for these red letters uh, that we're going to be in uh, um, for January, February, and March. Um, May uh, we hear and practice what what Jesus is teaching us. Uh, It's in his name that we pray. Amen. It was on uh, the first day of school and a teacher uh, was teaching third grade and uh, decided uh, to just kind of gauge her audience a little bit and asked the classroom, how many of you are Pittsburgh Steelers fans? She said, I'm a Steelers fan. How many of you are Steelers fans? And the kids being in third grade and wanting to please their teacher all pretty much raised their hand except for one little girl. And uh, the teacher turned to her and said, you're not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan? And she said, well, no, I'm not. That's why I didn't raise my hand. She said, well, what team are you a fan of? She said, I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. She said, you're a Baltimore Ravens fan. How, do, how on earth did that happen? She said, well, my mom's a Ravens fan and my dad's a Ravens fan. And so I just kind of grew up and became a Ravens fan. And she said, well, she said, there's a little bit of problem in that logic. She said, I'm not accusing your parents of this, but I mean, what if like your mom and dad didn't know anything about football? What if they were really foolish? I mean, what would you do then? She said, well, then I'd be a Steelers fan. Um, right. So yeah. And uh, I, I read a book now a, a few years ago. It was Kyle uh, Eidelman was the author. And he talked in that book about the difference between being a follower of Jesus and being a fan of Jesus, right? And so let me put this up on the screen for you. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. And I think if I can make the case to you, I think we have a lot of enthusiastic admirers of Jesus in our culture. Uh, we are in a kind of postseason football right now, and I love to watch the postseason when it comes to football, but you will hear a lot of enthusiastic admirers of Jesus in post-game interviews and in press conferences and on placards at the game. You'll, you'll see that. We're getting ready to enter award season. You know, the Oscars and the Emmys and all that. You will hear some enthusiastic admirers of Jesus. Uh, the debate on the, not to get political, it's going to be okay because we're not going here, but the debate on the wall at the southern border, the immigration debate right now, I've never heard so much conversation about Jesus in all my life. Right? All all of a sudden, like, Jesus is being worked into this conversation. We have a lot of enthusiastic admirers of Jesus. And here's what I want you to see. Being a fan of Jesus is not what we're called to. Let me put this on the screen for you. Jesus calls us into a following relationship. 
And so one of the things Jesus said again and again uh, when, when he was kind of walking around for the three and a half years of his ministry is he would offer a, a very simple invitation. And the invitation would be, follow me. And we have uh, recorded uh, stories of fishermen laying down their nets and following Jesus. We have a story of a tax collector in a tax booth, leaving the tax booth behind and following Jesus. We, we have people leaving their families, leaving their friends and following Jesus. And what ensued over the next three years was a relationship, a following relationship with Jesus, not fandom, right? A relationship where Jesus was their Lord and their teacher, their mentor, their savior, and their king. And so they followed him. So there is a difference between being a fan and being a follower, all right? Here, here's the truth. A fan sits in the stands, right? A fan is by and large a spectator. Now, you've probably had this feeling as well that if you're at a, at a sporting event or you're at a concert or you're at some big venue like that, have you ever had this feeling of, put me in the gang, coach, right? Put me in the game. Let me on the, let me on, I've never had this feeling, but let me on the stage and sing, right? I've never had that feeling in my life, but put, put me in. I could do better than this, but we all know that would be hugely inappropriate and would get you arrested and a night in jail, right? You can't do that because a fan, a fan's job is to watch. A fan is by definition, a spectator sits in the stands. A follower of Jesus is invited to participate, Right? So a fan watches, a follower participates. Jesus was so committed to this idea that he gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us abilities. He gives us a background. And we have all of these things so we can get into the game. So we can make a contribution to the kingdom. So years ago, I'm not exactly sure the history of this, but years ago, churches started being built this way, the way that we're in right now, where there is a uh, stage, a, bi a big stage, and there's seats facing the front, and it can give the impression that we are at a concert or in a show, that we are a spectator, but make no mistake about it. This is not a concert you're attending. This is like a team huddle where we're all members of the same team, and we seek to hear from our coach, Jesus, and then when we, you know, we, you know, Huh, you know, get, get out of here type of thing. When we, when we let each other go, then we're into the game and we go to our neighborhood and our home and our work where we serve our King Jesus. So followers are called to get in the game. A fan is fair weather. Now, in my family, we're Michigan State University fans. We are not fair weather fans. My wife makes sure of it. All right. So we watched our bowl game on New Year's Eve. We lost that game six to seven. It was excruciating to watch. No offense bowl, all right? No offense at all, all right? Six to seven. And about partway into the third quarter, I turned to my wife and said, do we have to keep watching? And she said, yes, we do. <laughs> and so we watched into the end. So we're not fair weather, but a lot, a lot of fans are. As a matter of fact, one of uh, the reasons sports are so competitive is because the owners of these sports teams know that if they start to lose, people won't buy tickets anymore and people won't buy jerseys, and they won't come to the game. When a team isn't playing well, you'll start to see a lot of empty seats. So a fan is often fair weather. A follower is faithful even in difficult times. As a matter of fact, in the text we're going to see here in a little bit, Jesus actually seems to promise storms in life, trouble in life. The way of Jesus is not the promise of a trouble-free life. The way of Jesus is the promise of a relationship with God through the storm right, through the difficulty. It's the promise of joy, hope, and peace that comes from a relationship. We are not invited into fandom. 
We are not invited into fandom. We are invited into following. We are invited into following Jesus. Let me show you this quote from the book, uh, Kyle, from Kyle Eilerman's book. He said, I met a young man in our church, probably about 30 years old, who had, uh, who, who had re, uh, really become a committed follower, a, a committed Christian, a follower of Jesus, and his life had been changed radically. He was doing some really neat things, and so he wanted me to meet with his mom. I knew his mom went to a different church in town. I thought she just wants to meet with myself and her son and just kind of express thanks for what God is doing in her son's life. And so we sat down for coffee, and she's upset. And in her words, she said, my son has taken this, all of this too far. So here's a lady who's been in church for years. She wanted her son to come to church, but she doesn't like the fact that he's not working weekends so he could come to church and how he was serving and using his free time to plan a mission trip. And she said to me, will you please tell him that the Bible teaches everything in moderation? Which is not what the Bible teaches at all. Just a side note, right? Well, kind of clear, clear, clear that up. We, we are not invited into fandom. We are invited into following Jesus. And so we're starting this series where for the next 15 weeks or so, we're going to be studying Jesus's longest recorded sermon that, that we know of. And it's a sermon about what the kingdom of God is and what following Jesus looks like when he is our king and we are his followers. Jesus is going to teach us, this is what blessing looks like. This is what loving your enemies looks like. This is what money looks like. And there's going to be places in this sermon that Jesus preaches where our culture has kind of adopted and adapted the Jesus way. And it's not gonna seem that controversial at all. But there are gonna be far more places in this sermon of Jesus. Uh, there are gonna be parts of it that are incredibly countercultural, hard to hear, hard to implement, hard to obey. And here's the question I have for us. What does a follower of Jesus do in that moment? When it's hard, when it's challenging, when it's difficult. I'll tell you what a fan does. A fan asks for a refund. <laughs> a fan cancels their season tickets, right? A fan boycotts, but as followers, we are called to do something else. So we're going to start today at the end of the sermon, all right? So uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And today, for the first week, or for the second week of it, 1B of it, um, we are going to study this last kind of thing Jesus says in this parable. And then next Sunday, we're going to start at the beginning and we're going to work our way through. But I want you to hear the last thing Jesus teaches in this sermon because it has to do with how we follow Jesus, how we receive his words. It, it, it reminds us of what a follower does when Jesus teaches. And, and the parable is of the wise and foolish builders. And here's what it says. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine, right? The last three chapters, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law, All right? So this parable is about many things, but one of the things that it's about is how we respond to Jesus, so when you, when you hear his words, what is the proper response to Jesus? And I think your response to Jesus is hugely dependent on how you perceive Jesus. 
who you believe Jesus was and is. So for some, following Jesus is primarily about learning. And I would call this person, I would describe this person this way. They primarily see Jesus as a professor, right? As an instructor, as a teacher. And so their response to Jesus is to learn from him. And listen, learning is hugely important. And Jesus as a professor is a pretty good professor to have, right? right? He's a pretty good professor to have. He teaches us a lot of things. As a matter of fact, I am overwhelmed, and maybe you are too, by the amount of resources available to Christ followers today to people that wanna grow in their faith, to people that wanna learn the Jesus way. There are just tons of resources available, books, sermons, video teachings. We have access to it all. It's top notch and it's excellent. But there is a little bit of a warning here of primarily seeing Jesus as a professor. When when that's the the totality of the way that you see him. Let me tell you what the Apostle Paul said one time. The Apostle Paul said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. All right? And so here's what the Apostle Paul was teaching. All right, put this on the screen. Learning absent application results in pride. All right? So learning, just learning, learning. I want to learn from Professor Jesus. I want to learn from him. Learning absent application results in pride. Let me say it another way. We are educated in America. We are educated beyond our obedience. Right? We are so educated, right? And I'll use Christmas as an example, all right? Over Christmas break, and this may be true for you as well, I ate so many sweets. It was ridiculous. When I kind of ponder back on what I put into my mouth, I am alarmed and disturbed, all right? I ate so many sweets over Christmas, and it was glorious, and it was awesome. I compensated for that by not exercising at all, (laughs) right? by not exercising at all, no walking, no anything, right? We kind of stayed home and played games and watched movies and were around our house quite a bit. And I noticed about, uh, after about three or four days of that, I noticed I started to get, shall we say, puffed up, <laughs> right? Puffed up. And the reason for that, and the same thing happens spiritually, is that faith is meant to be exercised, Faith is meant to be implemented. And when all we do is learn without apply, it leads to this lazy, disengaged, and bored faith. And so Jesus is a professor. He is a, he is a teacher. He is that way, but he's so much more than that. So following Jesus, for some, it's Professor Jesus. For some, it's about inspiration. That they, say Jesus, they see Jesus primarily as a motivational speaker. That life can be hard, and we're looking for the words of Jesus to fill our tank and inspire us to move forward. And listen, the, the work and life of Jesus is very inspiring. Right? Think about it just for a moment. Think about uh, in about 15 weeks or so, we're going to be celebrating Easter Sunday, the resurrection. Think about the resurrection. That is inspiring. That Jesus was, uh, died on a cross, and three days later, he rises again. But the life of Jesus, that part of Jesus, is inspiring in light of the resurrection. Right? So we have this kind of wonderful ability to kind of look backward and know the resurrection is happening and to see what Jesus went through and be like, man, the resurrection's coming. And it's in that moment of looking back, it's very inspiring. But those that walk through it in the moment, just kind of the only place they could look was forward. Here's what it looked like. It looked like an innocent man who was beaten and bloodied nearly to death and sent to a cross where he actually did die. So I think Jesus is inspirational, very inspirational, but in a different way than we expect. 
Jesus said this, all right, in addition to the text I just read about the storms of life coming to everybody, Jesus also made this promise. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's inspirational, right? It's persevere, it's hold on, it's don't give up, it's resurrection is coming for you just like it came for me. Right, that someday you will look back on this season of your life and you will be able to look at it through the eyes of resurrection. Right, and you'll say, man, I survived that. I thrived in that. And I came out the other side a different and renewed person. And someday, just like we look at Jesus, someday we'll look at our own life and we'll see it in light of the resurrection. And that's an amazing thing. But for many, they don't find that terribly inspirational. They'd rather the Jesus message be, follow me and in this world you won't have any trouble at all. Right? That's what we'd really like to, for Jesus to say, is, hey, trust in me, follow me, and all your troubles go away. No more trouble with your kids, no more trouble in your finances, no more trouble with your health, no more trouble. Just follow me and you won't have any trouble at all. And can I say something to you in love? It's a fairy tale. It, it's not life. And it's not Christianity. What Jesus offers is the promise of resurrection, joy, hope, and peace in the middle of the storm. And he is inspirational. He does motivate us, but he's so much more. For some, they view Jesus as the fixer of problems. For them, they, they see Jesus as a counselor. So some see him as a professor, right? Some see him as a, a fixer. Some see him as a motivational speaker. But for many people, they come to Jesus initially. This is a lot of people's stories. They come to Jesus because of a problem. Their marriage is in trouble. Their finances are in trouble. Their kids are in trouble. And it drives them back to the faith of their youth, the faith that they had when they were younger. And listen, that's great, but here's what I want you to see. Jesus is so much bigger than all of this. He's so much bigger than all of this. And so here's the question I want to ask you just for a few minutes, because our response to Jesus hinges on this idea. Let me put it on the screen for you. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? One of my favorite quotes on this is from uh, the author and speaker Priscilla Shire. And she went through this whole thing one time on who, who she believes Jesus is throughout the Bible. And I want to share it with you just because I find it inspirational. She says, listen, in Jesus, in Genesis, Jesus is the breath of life. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the high priest. In Numbers, he is the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is Israel's guide. In Joshua, he is salvation's choice. In Judges, he is Israel's guard. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings and Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, he is our true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the re- rebuilder of walls and lives. In Esther, he is our courage. In Job, he is our timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is a time and a season. In Song of Songs, he is the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. And in Jeremiah, he is the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he is the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he is our call from sin. In Daniel, he is the stranger in the fire. And in Hosea, he is forever faithful. 
In Joel, he is spirit's power. In Amos, he is the strong arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he is our Lord and Savior. In Jonah, he is the great missionary. In Micah, he is the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and shield. In Habakkuk, he brings revival. In Zephaniah and Haggai, he restores that which is lost. In Zechariah, he is a fountain of life. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. And that's just who he is in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is your Messiah. In Acts, he is your reigning fire. In Romans, he is the grace of God. In First and Second Corinthians, he is the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, he is our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he is the servant's heart. In Colossians, he is the God of the Trinity. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our calling king. In First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he is our mediator and faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he is our everlasting courage. In James, he heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our faithful shepherd. In three Johns and Jude, he is the lover who is to come. And in Revelation, he is the one who was and is and is to come. That's Jesus. So I want to encourage us to have this, as we start this series, to have a high view of Jesus a high view of who he is, that he is not just our problem solver. He is the king on the throne, that he's not just our counselor. He is the rock upon which our house is built, that he is the Lord of the matter, manner, the firstborn over all creation. And when you see him for who he is, that he is God, the response that Jesus articulates in this text begins to make more sense. But to start the series together, Let us have the high view of Jesus that we are called to have. That he is our prophet, our priest, and our king. He is the one who was and is and is to come. And we respond to his words. So what is the response? Well, in this story that Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with, there are two. And they are tied together. The first response is to hear. To hear his words. To listen The Greek word here is very interesting. It's to hear in such a way as to do what is said. And this is why Jesus follows follows this up with this next idea. He says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, these are the two responses to our king. It is to hear and it is to practice. And if you have children or grandchildren, you understand that there's a difference. Right? I will tell you something that often happens in our home is you might imagine that Sunday morning can be a little bit of a stressful time in the Higgs household, right? Trying to get out of the house and I'm going over my sermon and we all have to get ready and, and, and that sort of thing. So usually by the time we leave, our seven-year-old will be playing Legos. And so we'll kind of go up to him uh, on our way out and I'll say, all right, Sam, you know, we got to get out the door, go ahead and get your shoes on and stop playing Legos and do that whole thing. And I'll go and run and kind of do something else. And I'll come back about five minutes later and literally nothing's happened, right? And so I'll say, all right, Sam, we got, we got to get going, bud. Time for shoes, time for jacket. Let's, let's get out the door. And then I'll get kind of busy doing something else and I'll come back and literally nothing has happened. And so at that point, usually Cheryl or I will start to raise our voice an octave or so. And he'll say something like this. You don't have to get on me so much. I heard you. <laughs> to which we will say, you're something like this, although I'll clean it up for church. Um, <laughs> your hearing didn't lead to practicing, right? 
And so when Jesus is our rock and our king and our Lord, here's how it works on the screen for you. Hearing leads to practicing. Right? This is the difference between being a fan and an, admi- an admirer, a passionate admirer of Jesus, and, and, and between that and a follower. A follower hears, and hearing leads to practicing. So over the course of this sermon series, you're going to hear some various teachings on Jesus, from Jesus. You're going to hear te- teachings like this in a couple weeks. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. A fan will see that text and say, fascinating. Interesting, rah-rah Jesus. A follower will say, how can I practice that truth? How can I be salt? How can I be light in my community, family, and work? And a few weeks after that, you'll hear this teaching. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what what more are you doing than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. A fan will say, Jesus, you've gone from preaching to meddling. I'm thinking about canceling my season tickets. A follower will say, I've heard those words. How can I put them into practice? How can I love my enemies? How can I love my political enemies? How can I love my social enemies? How can I love my familial enemies? How can I pray for those who persecute me and love those that I disagree with? A few weeks after that, you'll hear this teaching. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroyed. Vermin, right? And where thieves break in and steal, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, uh, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I can tell you, nothing gets people as edgy as money does. It's just true. It sucks the life out of a room. Every preacher's experienced it before. That you know, fill up the room or whatever, and they get to, today. We're going to talk about money. Is this thing on, right? You know, it just sucks the life out of a room. What does a follower of Jesus do in this moment? They hear and they put it into practice. They start somewhere. They start practicing. They don't just hear, they practice. And hearing should always lead to practicing. And so we don't just want to be a hearing church, right? Hearing, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So we don't just want to be a hearing church, We want to be a church that hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. So over the course of this series, there are going to be things that are a joy to hear. And there are going to be things that uh, you're going to want to forward the CD or the the audio link to your neighbor because they need to hear it, right? Um, you're, You're going to want to forward it to your kids, right? There's going to be things that are easy to hear. There are going to be things that are going to be rah rah to hear. But I'm telling you, I've read this sermon a lot. At one point in my life, I had it memorized uh, back when I was younger and had a better brain. Um, I'm telling you, there are things in this sermon that are hard to hear. 
There are things in the sermon that are challenging to hear. There are things in the sermon that I don't like to hear. And the question is going to be in that moment, am I going to be a fan or am I going to be a follower? So there's an interesting kind of part of this passage, I think, where uh, the, the part with the storm, right? The, the storm is the thing that both the wise builder and the foolish builder have in common, right? The storms come for both the wise and, and the foolish, that no matter how wise and prudent and good you are, the storm's going to come. I, I, it's kind of how life is. Storms come. And as I said earlier, the promise of Jesus is not a storm-free life. It's just not. The promise of Jesus is that when the storm comes, Hopefully your life is built on the rock and you survive the storm in Jesus, that he promises to provide his help in the middle of the storm that will weather it with him. And so I want to kind of challenge you with this as we think about kind of the week-to-week practicing of the Sermon on the Mount, hearing these words and practicing them. I want to challenge you with this, all right? Let me put this on the screen for you. The best time to build confidence in Jesus is not in the middle of the storm. Right? The best time to build confidence in Jesus is not in the middle of the storm. A lot of people, trust me pastorally on this, a lot of people come to Jesus in the middle of a storm. They, they just do. It's just kind of that something bad happens and it kind of drives them to Jesus. And listen, that's, that, that's good it's better than not building confidence in Jesus at all, right? It, it, definitely, it definitely is a good thing that we're driven back to Jesus in the middle of the storm, but it's not, and I think even most people that are in the middle of a marriage crisis or in the middle of a health crisis, I think even they would say, this is not the best time for me to be building confidence in Jesus. Let me put this on the screen for you. The best time to build confidence in Jesus is the day-to-day hearing and practicing of what he says, right? So this is kind of how this passage lays out, is that day to day, we're going to hear his words, we're going to put them into practice. We're going to hear, we're going to practice, we're going to hear, we're going to practice. And every time we do that, every time we do that, whether in a small way or a big way, every time we do that, we are building our confidence in Jesus. We are, right? So, you know, any, anytime you kind of make a change in regards to how you're treating your enemy, right? When Jesus teaches that enemy, he's like, I'm going to apply this. I'm, I'm going to send a card this week. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to send a card this week to one of my enemies. And, and you do that, it, that builds your confidence in Jesus as you're hearing and you're practicing. So the way the passage lays out is we're doing that day after day, built hearing and, and, and applying, hearing and applying. And then the storm comes. And then when the storm comes, your confidence is in Jesus. Your, your confidence in, is in him and you weather the storm. And so the best time to build confidence in Jesus, if you're like, eh, I'm not really going through a storm right now, this is, this is great, all right? Um, that, that this is a great kind of time for you to be building your confidence in Jesus day after day after day. And if you are in the middle of a storm, continue to build your confidence in Jesus continue to hold on to him in the middle of the storm, continue to apply, hear and apply what he says. And I promise you, it is in the daily hearing and applying that builds confidence in Jesus. And I know that's not like super inspirational or, or fun or whatever. I mean, it might not be what you came to church to hear, but it's the truth. It is the daily hearing, the, the daily applying of what Jesus says that builds confidence in him. So we're gonna be in this thing for uh, January, February, and March. And then in April, we're going to do a short Easter series, um, uh, about a three-week Easter series or so. But we're going to be in this for 15 weeks. We're going to be hearing a lot of teaching from Jesus, a, a lot of what he says is the best way to live, a lot of what he says is the, the best way to operate when it, when it comes to 
all sorts of things. And what I want us to kind of prepare our heart for is that I'm going to come to, to church each week of this series. Each week of this, this series, I'm going to come in ready to hear. I want to hear what Jesus has to say, even if it's hard to hear. Even if it's hard to hear. And some of it's going to be hard to hear. Right? Um, I, I've told this story before, but I remember being in a small group one time with someone, and uh, we, were, we were talking about some issue. I think it was regarding like loving your enemies or something like that. And we were reading this text, and uh, in the middle of the small group, uh, this guy said, I'm not doing that. And I said, well, in, in that particular case, I'm like, it's the Apostle Paul. He's like, that cat's crazy. And like, I don't know if we should be having this conversation. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this, right? But it's easy to come in and, and to get defensive with Jesus. Um, and I want to encourage us to just come in ready to hear and then ready to apply. Ready to hear, ready to practice. Ready to hear, ready to practice. And that is, I love that word better than, I, I like that word. Uh, the Bible does talk about obedience, but I kind of like practicing better, right? If I can be so bold on that. that man, I'm going to hear this, all right? Whatever it is, even if it's hard to hear, I'm going to hear it. Then I'm going to go home and I'm going to practice, right? I'm going I'm to practice it. And sometimes I'm not going to practice it well. Sometimes I'll practice it better than other times. But I'm going to practice it and I'm going to build my confidence in Jesus. And then when the storm comes, I'll be ready. In the middle of the storm, the best thing you can have in the middle of the storm is confidence in Jesus. So this is a, a, a good time to start doing that, is to build our confidence in Jesus in the middle of the storm or before the storm comes and to remember that he is our king. Not just your professor, not just your cheerleader, not just your fixer. He's God and he knows what is best. So we're gonna hear and we're gonna practice. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his words. And uh, as we start out this series, we wanna be like the wise man who built his house on the rock, who heard your words and put them into practice. And then when the storm comes, we're ready to weather it in you because we have had this time where we have built our confidence in you day after day after day. May it be true for us, Lord. May our confidence be in you more and more each day as we hear and practice what you have to say. Um, as we get into this sermon series, um, there are things that are gonna be easy to hear things we're already doing, things where we'll feel kind of patted on the back, and there are going to be things that we're challenged on and that are hard to hear. But whatever it is, even if it's hard to hear, we want to hear from you, and then we want to practice it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to enter into a time where we're receiving communion together. Amen. You want to talk about a confidence builder in Jesus. It's this. He predicted his own death and his resurrection and pulled it off. So I kind of operate under the assumption that if somebody does that, I kind of listen to them. Um, and so this is, this is what Jesus did, right? He talked about his own death. He talked about his own resurrection. And they killed him, and everyone thought it was over. Everyone thought the Jesus movement was over. And three days later, he rose again. And so we want to keep that in the forefront of our heart and our mind as we move, as we move forward, that we can have complete confidence in Jesus. And, but that, that needs to be practiced, Right? I don't know if you've ever had the experience of uh, spiritual drift. 
Right? I, I have where you just kind of have drifted away and all of a sudden it's like, man, you know, my confidence isn't there like it used to be. Um, usually that's not a believing thing for me. Usually it's a practicing thing. Like I, I've stopped practicing faith in some way or another. And uh, one of the things that Christianity really needs is uh, the day, day after day is, is practicing the words of Jesus. Practice, 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 and it builds our confidence in him. And so we're gonna uh, celebrate communion together and we're gonna remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And today I want us to remember that he predicted, pre-predicted all of it so that we could have confidence in him. And today I just hope, whether you're in the middle of a storm or not, I just wanna pray today that your confidence in Jesus, that you would hold on to him, that your confidence in Jesus would build and that you'd hold on to him in the middle of the storm. All right. They're gonna pass it out here. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has the bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And you can just hold on to those. We like to receive it uh, together as a church family. Uh, so they'll pass it out, and then I'll come back up here in just a minute.